Put him on his back. Thurston, right foot kick, down the ground, into the end goal almost. Hodgson cuts it off. Hodgson taken by Norton. He took him late. Marshall skips away. Marshall skips away. Marshall's still going. Marshall's got Richards coming up outside. Now inside. Richards pursued. He pushes Johnson away. Good evening, Wednesday, 20th of July, 2022. You're here once more for another episode of Tiger Town Podcast with your hosts, Toby and Zach. Toby, how are you going, mate? Oh, yeah, mate. Not um, not too bad, actually, which is a funny, funny thing to say. Um, lots positive has happened in the last week since we uh, since we had our last pod. Um, you know, some not positive, but, you know, I feel that this, this podcast, we should just focus... Purely on the positive, we discussed how we should approach this before the pod actually started, and I, I, I agree with you. We can focus very minimalistic on the um, very minimal, sorry, on the uh, on the negatives, and we'll focus on the positives. But yeah, not bad. Yeah, I think as we head into the back end of the year, our conversations on the podcast, at least, and and outside of it, I guess what we're looking forward to probably is a bit more off the field decisions and news rather than actually what's going on on the field because there's not a whole lot to look forward to at the minute bar maybe a couple of debuts and uh, maybe them trying a few bits and pieces over the back end of the year so uh, lots lots and lots to talk about and fortunately in some ways it's not about the performance of the football team at the moment all that much but um, obviously they did play on the weekend and they had a a close loss Um, 18-16 went down to the Penrith reserve grade side um, what was your takeaways from the game? Um, look, it was frustrating to watch. Very frustrating to watch. I think that there was good parts and there was some quite silly parts. I'm honestly, it is. It's. It looks like to me, from an outsider looking in, the last three weeks, some of the decisions, the very bad decisions that Brooks is making, it just seems to me like it's on purpose now. I mean. I said this last week. I said that uh, an experienced halfback just doesn't make those decisions. He just doesn't. Um, and he did it a few times again. And, you know, you mentioned before the pod that apparently the Knights are still circling and, you know, that's, that wouldn't, that is just not going away. I'm like, maybe he's, uh, maybe he's just basically saying to them, look, just let me go. I- I'm done. And we've got to let him go. Like, I what I don't understand, what I don't see is something they clearly do see in him because they keep putting him back at halfback. He's not an NRL halfback anymore, especially not for us. Um, but apart from that, um, I thought Dewey was strong. I thought Dewey was strong moving back to the number six. He had a really good running game. Um was pretty solid in defense as well. Slid very well. I thought Hastings actually, like people said that it was a failed experiment, but I actually thought he was quite good at lock. Um, very much. Uh, he, I wouldn't say he was a duck out of water, but it definitely, you could tell it wasn't his preferred position or it wasn't his natural position from a defensive standpoint. He, uh, you know, I don't think he had, a lot of, oh, he had quite a few ineffective tackles and I think he missed a little bit, but he's not used to tackling as much as that requires. I think he definitely took the the pressure off the halves in terms of attack. But um, yeah, I thought that um, unfortunately also the, the, the youth that we're bringing through showed a little bit of that inexperience that they're, they're not quite... Um, full-time first graders yet. And by that, I mean, Madam Muir, um, made a couple of very key mistakes that it's, you know, it, you know, first grade Tigers players probably would make, but considering the wraps we have on this kid, we just expect that to put that down to inexperience because I can't see him making those mistakes very often when he's a full-time first grader. So. Yeah. Well, he's quite young. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Overall, I think it was just 
one of those performances where you, you knew it was going to be something like that. I think, I think actually last week, patting myself on the back, I called it was going to be lower scoring and, and pretty tight and we were going to be in it all the way up to the end, um, which you'd like to think so with the amount that they were missing. And it just was a case of their class shone through when it mattered. Their key players stepped up and basically dragged the rest of the players over the line. That being, I guess, Dylan Edwards and Fisher Harris. Um, they basically got got through that game off the back of those two primarily. Yeah, uh, and I guess kick out and the other one as well. Those three led those those three players to do enough uh, to get past the line with us. Yeah, your comment on inexperience was was pretty apt. I think that um, unfortunately for Justin, that if he doesn't play in that game, we don't lose anything. Um, except for some key things that actually ended up costing us the game. I there was the um, where he's called. Well, to be honest, I said to you after the game that he was called not square at marker very deliberately and loudly, which led to the break just prior to them scoring that match winning try. Mm. Uh, I actually was adamant he was perfectly square, not even 50 50. He was right in front of where he should be. He just got away nice and quick. And then. Um, yeah, another key one was it? Was he? Was it he? Him that was involved in the Fisher Harris try, or he gave yeah. away a penalty or something? Yeah, yeah, he didn't. He didn't break from marker quick enough. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, that was the, that was that situation. No, sorry, the other one I was thinking of was the try in the corner where it was still a try, but he ran into as the block runner. He ran into the defender, which was a key, clear obstruction. We still would have scored, yeah. but it was a clear obstruction. Yeah, yeah. So um, that cost us a try. And then the other one would be Junior Tupo, who was offside from the kick um, on that fluky one that we managed. Somehow we pulled a try out of our backside, which we haven't done all year. Yeah. And the one time we do, our player is a meter or two foot offside. Mm. Um, and, yeah, both mistakes by 19-year-olds that, yeah. um, you know, if they're going to make them, make them, make them in a dead season when they're still learning the ropes, fair enough. But, yep. um, you know, to be honest, a win on that game, versus a close loss, there's probably not really much. It would have been nicer to get a win, but, you know, we shrugged that off pretty pretty quickly because when we scored through Kenny, we could, we knew it was going to happen. We've read this script a thousand times over. We're well-versed well on how this screenplay goes. We lose those games, um, particularly when yeah. we're not going well. We're not going well. So I think a lot of us have put the cue in the rack on the season so we can talk a little bit more about, I guess, um, yeah, all the other news that we've, we've spoken about pre-pod. Um, and, yeah, it's going to be a hard game to watch this weekend against the cows who are high-flying up in Townsville. But, um, you know, as we always are, and probably the same as all our listeners, we'll be there front and centre watching it. Probably swear yep. the TV a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I think the other thing that just sort of – and, you know – it was some, I don't know who said it, and I think it might have been Kamali in the press conference, but it was relayed in an article, was teams like us need the call, need those right calls to go our way. And then Hastings, Hastings said it just prior to halftime when we made a break and Tom. Yeah, I don't know if he actually said, back. I don't know if he said that his exact words. I know he questioned the call. No, he said it, he said it verbatim. I've actually heard he? it okay. live and, oh, I, and okay. I forgot about it. And then, yeah, it got released after he said, come on, man, teams like us need calls like that. Yeah, yeah. It's not because untrue. It's not. It's not. I mean, I don't it it's very frustrating that um we talk about it every week and we talk about how you you consistently um sort of refer back to that unconscious bias that you know if things are going you know going the way of a team like us something must be wrong. Um yeah, it's just frustrating to watch. And then, you know, the couple of other key calls that went against us. And, you know, at the same time, I don't think, I can't remember who the ref was, but I'd actually think he had a bad game. I thought he did quite well. I thought things flowed very, very nicely. And I don't think there was too many of those, you know, me putting my hands up in the air is, how did you not pick up on no. that sort of calls? No, I actually I really he, liked him. Who, yeah, who's that ref? Quite, I don't know. I'll have a look. It's it's the only time this year that I've actually finished watching a game and go, you know what? I actually didn't mind that ref. Yeah, yeah. No, I, it's, he, he was it, good. It, very few and far between this year for me. He was but. fair. And what I actually liked about him is he took the time to let the players talk and he would explain things. 
there was no arrogance. There was no any of that. No. He, he had control and feel for the game and he let the game flow. But there was multiple occasions where someone would question him and he'd have a conversation with him respectfully. Um, I liked it. I actually, yeah. I'm, I'm sort of surprised as I'm saying it out loud, but I did. I actually really liked him as a ref. So hope, hopefully next time he doesn't have an absolute Barry Crocker and uh, undo Peter all Goff. what I've said. But Peter, Peter Goff, Goff, yeah. yeah. Good, good job, Pete. The, the I other time, you. too. He did a great job. Do you know who I think is actually, I've watched her quite a bit in the women's league and, you know, she's done, she's done quite a bit in the New South Wales Cup is Belinda Sharp as a ref. She was a okay. touchy as well. She and the we, blonde, blonde bird? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Pony she, tail. yeah, she has a, she has a very good eye for the game. And when she, she was our touchy as well. And I just think that, you know, if your touchies are doing well, then it makes it easier for your ref to do well. And so I think they just did well together. So, yeah, it was pleasing to watch that that was okay because then what isn't pleasing is we can kind of say it was us. Nothing but us. <laughs> Nothing but silly mistakes and um, silly penalties. I mean, um, what was the one? There was one in the game that was just uh, just such – oh, the not packing the scrum and getting yeah. given away the penalty. I'm like – Wow! Like, come on, guys. Yeah, and you can you combine that with um, the same thing we keep talking about, which is line speed or lack thereof, and the fighting to, to play the ball. It just wasn't there from the outset, and you know straight away that they're just going through the motions when that's the case. I actually felt they kind of warmed their way into that game relatively well on the weekend, which was mm. which was good. But I think it was more the fact that Penrith just dropped that much ball that we didn't get blown off early, which was a surprise. And they found themselves actually in the game somehow and then decided to stay there. Um, so I think we actually got lucky in that regards because if if that was up against the first grade side who had decent ball handling, uh, that would have been Oh, that'd be shellacking. Absolutely shellacking. Yeah, quite yeah. easily. So yeah. Um, to that point, yeah, fair, fair play. Yeah. Uh, let's move on from it though, because I didn't give it much thought. I think I'd sort of forgotten about it not too long after that game was played. Sort of I, the, the only thing I did want to point out is again, like you move, we moved him from lock to prop, but the amount of effort that Joffa put in again is mm. it's like, he clearly wants this. He clearly wants to win. And he clears, he had our most running meters by far at 172. I mean, that's from a front rower who played 56 minutes. So, you know, that's just, I don't know. I, the next best, the next best forward next to him was actually Jackson Hastings at lock at 161 meters. Mm. I think that with Hastings, it just came down to the pure number of touches that he got. So he had yeah. the most touches. Oh, yeah. So he, was, he, was a half, yeah, yeah no, he was a halfback in the 13 jersey. He wasn't a lock. He no, just, no. He defend, he's a halfback who defended in the middle and had 13 on his back pretty much. He played with two five eights. Yeah. No, no, I understand agree with you. It's just hmm. you know, like I said, I'm just going back to how much Joffa seems to want it. So Yeah, for sure. No, I'm a massive fan. And if they do if they go with something like um co captains next year, not five, but I'm happy with co captains. I'd love to see him get picked as one of them because he's one of the few people this year who has talked the talk and actually backed it up. Hundred percent. Like he like he meant it. So um Hastings, I don't mind as captain, but to me next year, I'd love to see Dewey and Offahengawi as co-captains. That'd be I really can't, I can't see how Dewey pick. wouldn't get it. To be honest, yeah, he lives in breathes. Those two the club. look like they actually give a damn. Yep, no, hundred percent. Joffa then could be the leader of the forwards. You can have Dewey as a leader of the backs. It, yep. it works for me. No, um, I agree. For Nua Pole though, from the bench, ninety-eight running meters. He's he's cemented himself in the t- in the team already. He's only game he's three. A good one, isn't he? Yeah. So he's, ten. And he had ten runs. In saying that, we've said yeah, the same about return meters. <laughs> we said the same about Tuolagi as well at the start of the year. Remember that? And he's just dropped off the face of the earth. Yeah, I don't know. Different kettle. I get different vibes though. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, different oh vibes. God! I just he's saw who. I just saw who we've got as our ref next uh, this week. <laughs> Chris Butler. Oh, yeah. Well, all, as we've said before, all the rest of them don't really 
fill us with any great anything. So, no. Um, all right. So we can sort of, again, forget about another game, another game that just, uh, I'm sick of saying learning curve. So I'll just say it was a, just a forgetful day. Um, but the big news since, you know, we discussed it uh, in the last pod of a possibility and then it came to fruition on Thursday of Tim Sheen's taking over. Yeah. And then Very, Benji Marshall. Pretty old news now, nearly a week yeah. ago. Yeah. And then Benji Marshall um, in the succession plan. Mm. So what are your thoughts on everything that's transpired? I think we've got a bit to unpack with that, don't we? We do. Um, so... Yeah, obviously, Tim Sheens will take over next year, 2023 and 24. And then um, it's already set in stone in the contract that Benji will take over for three years following that. So um, we'll have 25 head coach Benji Marshall, 26 and 27, and then we'll obviously see where we go from there. So that's the five-year plan. Look, we've discussed ad nauseum in the last couple of podcasts the benefits that come with the situation we found. Sorry the benefits that come with this particular type of approach or appointment, considering the situations we find ourselves in. Uh, and that being that apart from Cameron Serraldo, there was no real clear standouts in terms of who we put in as head coach that we could see long-term. And the fact that they offered Serraldo a five-year deal and they have since gone down this path, which is also a guaranteed five-year succession plan shows me that the one thing they've identified above all else or at least one of the key priorities through this whole process is um, long-term vision and long-term stability and ensuring that they actually have systems um, and uh, consistency in place for long periods of time and, and establishing the fact that five years, whether it was Seraldo in the first um, the first approach or the Sheens-Benji progression plan in the second approach, we now know and the Tigers now know and potential recruits and um, young up and coming players know who is in place, who's going to be there and there's some stability around the club. So before we actually, I guess, talk about the ins and outs of the appointments themselves and the characters themselves who will be taking the reins, I think the fact that they have identified that having something consistent and long-term in place is a key, um, a key metric around what, the club needs, um, I think is a pretty shrewd, a shrewd way to look at it rather than just employ a particular coach again for another two or three years and give him a crack again. They've planned half a decade in advance as a minimum. So uh, that's the first thing I'll point out. Yeah. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree. Um, I think for me, and I, I've mentioned this a couple of times, and I'll put this definitely in the in the pleasing column is what it indicates to me is we're done with people that don't understand the club, people that don't live and breathe the club. We're done with the people that, you know, yes, they've had success somewhere else, but they don't know the West Tigers. They don't know what we go through as fans, as a club, as players. I mean... You got Tim Sheens, yes. Tim Sheens was outed in 2012. Um, no, 23rd, no, 2012. It was 2012. Yeah, yeah, it was 2012. Um, and then he's gone away to Super League. And, you know, he's had some success, but not heaps. But this isn't about, you know, Tim Sheens coming back and changing us next year. This is about someone who, you know, when you say West Tigers there's probably only a handful of people that will automatically come to mind. Tim Sheens is definitely one of them. He has West Tigers DNA in him. Yes, he has a lot of other DNA because he's been a successful coach in other clubs, but he turned us from, you know, we had that one win in 05, yeah, and then a couple of um, finals appearances in 2010 and 2011. So not sustained success, but he turned us from a club that had no identity to a club that, um, you know, a club that was known for its flamboyance, was known for its, um, you know, its just attacking prowess. So that's extremely pleasing to see. And then also in the next three, uh, next three or two years, we've got Benji coming in 
who, you know, yes, no coaching experience whatsoever, but he is the West Tigers. He is who we, like, I said this to you when the, when it was announced, what kid, especially around that age, has grown up, had not grown up watching Benji do his flick passes and just go, I want to do that. You're going to have so many kids that are about 19, 20, that are just go, imagine playing for Benji Marshall. You're going to have all these quality kids coming through, having Benji Marshall sitting across the table from you at a negotiation going, I see this in you. And you're in the back of your mind, you're like, holy shit, this is Benji Marshall saying he sees something in me. This can only be positive for junior development, for recruitment, for everything. Yeah, I know. Um, and with recruitment and retention being one of those things that obviously talking about identify what one of the major issues is, um, clearly that is uh, something that's going to be a major benefit. We, have, we get to see it play out in terms of how that actually looks with him sitting at that round table, like you said, and, and seeing the fruits of that type of labour or that approach with him as the, as the guy. But um, I guess if you're a betting man, you'd like to think, as you said, that there is a lot of love for him collectively across the game. And um, and I'm sure that people would love to both work with him, under him, all that sort of stuff. With Trell Mitchell, for example, at South, you know, last year when Benji was there, actually said, if he ever had coach one day, I'd love to play under him. Now, I don't think for a minute that he would leave South to come play under Benji, but I just, there's an example right there of, um, you know, a player speaking before Benji was even in coaching conversations um, about the sort of pull that that type of bloke might have. Um, so, yeah, it's quite interesting. I mean, it's, it's a fair point you make in terms of the DNA too. So you know, no longer will we will we wonder about whether or not a particular coach gets this club or um, can actually truly be invested in this club because that's one thing that will never come up for discussion with this approach. As you said, Tim Sheens, Robbie Farron, and Benji Marshall, they're probably the three first names that spring to mind when you think of the club over the last 20-odd years. Um, so the the dedication that those blokes will commit to the task is not a guarantee of success by any way, shape or form, but it shows at the very least that no stone will be left unturned. And you can't say the same for somebody who doesn't have that same innate feeling towards a club, but they, these blokes will bleed um, black, white and gold more so than I would probably say the vast majority of the players maybe with the exclusion of some of the juniors that then come through and hopefully then they can instill that. And that in and of itself is going to help intrinsic performance and motivation and, um, you know, people wanting to stick around and retention and all that sort of stuff as well. So that has a lot of, I guess, intangible qualities that, um, you know, again, don't guarantee success, but can definitely be seen as contributory as well. Um, so like there's, you know, there's a lot of un there's a lot of stuff to unpack that we've spoken about in the past about, I guess, Sheen's himself, and you know, people bring up negatives, and there there's negatives and positives to all situations. The bloke's 71, uh, he's been in the game for 50 years, which I guess could be a positive, but people see then somebody like that as a dinosaur. Maybe the game's passed them by, forgetting the fact that Wayne Bennett's two years older than him, uh, Des Hasler's in his 60s, Phil Gould's in his 60s as a head of football. Uh, there's a few others as well I can't remember. I think Bellamy's 60. So, you know, these blokes are all of similar ilk. Um, you know, the fact that Sheens has been moved on from four clubs or five clubs or whatever it is, has also won four premierships with those clubs. And, uh, you know, as, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, we find ourselves in a situation where it's not a matter of simply we have a selection of who we want we can cherry pick okay guys do you want bennett do you want bellamy do you want robinson uh do you want jack gibson you know you can have whoever you want do you want seraldo you know go and pick your coach out your brand new sparkling coach we didn't have, we don't have that situation so i think having um machines in charge there which effectively i'm going to um i'm going to assume that effectively he Actually, sorry, it's not an, it's not actually an assumption. I'm stumbling, stumbling over my words here a little bit. It's um, basically, he came out to say and said it today in his own words. He said that I will effectively be a caretaker coach for Benji. 
which is true. He's effectively a two-year caretaker coach. And so I think that we'll see Benji in particular, but Robbie as well, have their fingerprints all over a um, the Tigers side for the next two years. And then that leading into that progression with Benji, then taking the reins entirely on his own, probably with the other boys still involved, but him then stepping forward and being the primary dude from then on. So I think it's going to be really collaborative. I think it's different. It's new. And, and um, the words that they're using around style, they're already coming out in the first, it's been six days and they've already come out multiple times and spoken about how the style will completely change the style the boys are used to and not the way we're going to be playing. They're mentioned on multiple occasions about attack, attack, attack. Sheens has spoken about how we don't score enough points. So it, it sounds like a throwback and, you know, the critic, the critics will say something like, well, you're living in the past and nostalgia doesn't um, doesn't predict future success. And they're right. But I think that um, if there is a Tigers DNA at any point in time in terms of what we stand for, it was always to be flare, uh, flary and to be um, exciting. And there would be nothing better than seeing that brought back in some way, shape or form. And to be known, I mean, you remember, even when we weren't winning comps, but we were still playing well in the late 2000s, so 2010, 2011, we were still known as that attacking team. And everyone would know that when you come up against the Tigers, you don't know what was going to happen. And as a fan, that was exciting. Because we could blow it, we could blow a top four team off the park some days. And, you know, it wasn't as consistent, but I guess that's sort of um, what we signed up for when we got the, you know, we're... we're we're pretty rusted on and we're, we're pretty used to the fact that for the rest of our lives, we're going to follow an inconsistent football team. So at least when we're inconsistent, we might as well be bloody exciting. Yeah, no, I hundred percent agree. It's there is like when we talk about the dynamic of what that makeup is going to be, you know, obviously Benji taking over and Robbie uh, staying as assistant, it does lead to, is there going to be, is ego going to play a part here? Is there going to be too many cooks in the kitchen? Things like that. But that comes back to what, like the DNA of this club. Like, you know, Benji, not Benji, um, Robbie was moved on in 2016, I think, originally the first time with Jason Taylor. And we put that down to, um, you know, the egos clashed and, you know, Robbie thought he controlled the club and everything like that, where it kind of came out with that Jason Taylor just wanted to have his squad and didn't want anyone to question him at all. Um, but it is, it is definitely food for thought. If you think about it, I mean, you've got Benji, legend of the club, Robbie, legend of the club, Robbie, ex-captain of the club, probably, he, I don't think anyone in our lifetime will captain more games than he has. Um, and then you got Benji, who you know is probably one of the greatest Kiwi players to ever hold a Steeden. They're both going to have very strong points. Is there going to be a time when there's too many cooks in the kitchen? Um, for me, actually, no. Because these blokes, um, they're all big personalities, but they've worked together for a decade in the past and it worked. Um, so I think on the surface, it may seem that way, but I think these blokes are so innately intertwined with each other and they, they know each other so well that you, you simply can't work so close with those. Like You can't work so close with three big personalities for 10 years unless you work out a system that works or unless the chemistry is there. It just doesn't work. You might be able to bluff your way through 12, 18 months um, in a work environment with three big personalities or four big personalities or even two big personalities that clash, but eventually that will come to a head. And the bottom line is those, those guys were at the club since 2003 and worked with Sheens all the way till he was given the backside in 2012. You know, that's a decade they worked together. And particularly those two, because Sheens has come out and said it himself that, you know, they would constantly challenge him on bits and pieces and, and they effectively became pseudo assistant coaches in ways because they would collaborate because effectively it was those two and Sheenzy were coming up with plays and tactics and all this sorts of stuff in 
in conjunction with their actual assistant coaches. They were that separate brains trust leadership group of that side. So um, I think that, you know, if, if you just plucked three big personalities out of the comp and said, we're going to put you all at the Dolphins and you guys work together, you go, oh, that could be a hell of a cocktail. You know, say you got Wayne Bennett and then they signed Gus Gould as general manager of football and then they get someone like, I don't know, who? Munster or um, Mitch Moses or someone, you know, and, and they go, Rodio, you three blokes are working together. Good luck. You go, yeah. oh, okay, you, you know, you've all got your stuff going on, but you're all, there's a few egos in there. We haven't, we don't have a history to see that it works. We have 10 years to see that these blokes work together and, and even better, they probably thrive together. No, oh, I hope so. I hope so. And then you you throw one more person in the mix. You know, there's been, you know, reports that Scotty Prince has come out and said that the band's back together. They're just missing the drummer. And he'd love to um, come back and possibly be a halves coach. I mean, yeah, halfback. He's, he's still playing. I know yeah, he he's... played this season, but he played for Valleys up here in Brisbane last yeah, year. Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah. Still going and around. He, co- he coaches um, the, or oh, he coached the Valleys team. No, it was a year before he played for Valleys because mm. he coached the women's Valleys team last year. Mm. Um, I, For anyone anyone listening, I played for Valleys for a few years, so I'm still well-connected with the club. Um, that's why I know this stuff. Um, but, yeah, he's assistant coach to Brisbane's women uh, side at yeah. the moment. Yeah. But, um, shit, if he offers his services as a halves coach, mate, I wouldn't say no. Yeah, of course. Like you, you got to have a lot of good minds on board. Yeah. Um. I, I read that and had a bit of a chuckle. I was like, oh, that's nice. It's cute. Um. I don't, I don't see him. Like, yeah, it's nice. It's good. I, I don't see him as one of the the premier halves coaching minds for me in terms of what is available in the Sydney bubble. You know, you got the Johns brothers. You got Cooper Cronk. Mm. Um. God, you got Laurie Daly down that way. You know, you got. Heaps of people that are there at your disposal. But, yeah, it's cool. If, if it was a consultancy or role or something, you know, why not get the band back together in some way, shape or form? I can't see him anything permanent. I think it'd probably be just a occasional consultancy sort of thing. You know, my God, you got currently you got Brett Kamali at the club. You know, yeah. you put him in the, in the top 10 to 15 halfbacks probably in the last 20 years. So, yeah, um, that's fair. it's, uh, yeah, it's a nice thing to read about, but. It's encouraging to hear that a lot of the ex-players are getting a bit of love back with this announcement. I think that's what's going to be a bit of a trend moving forward is what's old is new again and hopefully that can uh, wade into something. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So, you know, I think at the end of the day, we can both categorically say that it's an exciting announcement by the club. It's an exciting direction the club wants to head in. Um, I probably say I don't think I've actually been this excited of an announcement from a coaching perspective for a while um, if ever um, when Jason Taylor took over we were like oh this guy's come from the Roosters you know he's been in that system he'll change how we do wasn't excited optimistic um, Ivan came over um, you yeah, know we were probably looking at him through um, love goggles in terms of what he could do for us, because then he broke our heart. Um, there's a, there's a lot of optimism when Ivan started. Oh, there was because we, things, we it was putting a hard foot down. Yeah, but and he and he went out slinging cash around, and he seemed to have a bit of cachet, and he was saying all the right things, and and they even started playing for him early on, didn't they? They really did. Well, we finished ninth in his first season. Mm. I think we were with, one with, win again with Russell Packer in the squad. Yeah. Yeah. And no, Moses hadn't joined then. No. But no. But um yeah, like like I said, it's exciting and gives us some form of optimism. I am a lot more optimistic now of our recruitment power. A lot more optimistic. No. I think having like you know, it's funny that I'm gonna talk about this, but you're probably gonna make fun of me. But while I'm at the gym, every once in a while, The Apprentice was on and he was on there. He's a very, very, very well-spoken bloke. I've watched Benji. I've watched all that. You've watched his commentary. He's a well-spoken bloke. We both met him as well. He has this aura about him. I don't know what it is. It's just whether you grew up watching him play. I mean, when he hit, he's only a few years older than us. 
So when he hit the scene um, in 2005, you know, I was, what was I? Like 18. I was 18, you were 19. And he was yeah. only like 21. No, so, he's, yeah, he's born. He's just got this, it's, it's, not, year, it's not like. Year or so older. Yeah, it's not like sitting there and looking at, you know, like Andrew Johns or, you know, Paul Harrigan or somebody that just has that, wow, I watched you growing up. Mm. It's He, like we were almost adults, or we were adults by the time he debuted. So he mm. doesn't have that sort of legendary aura about him, but he has something about him. And having that when it comes to a negotiation, I can only, I think can only benefit us. So, yeah. Yep, definitely. Um, there was, there is a, a bit of talk around that I thought was just uh, wish-washy sort of stuff mainly, but um, Kent on 360 tonight, Paul Kent sounded pretty pretty adamant in a, in a brief statement that he said that um, that Benji wants Mitch Moses at the club. He, like he said, he really wants Mitch Moses at the club. Mm. Considering the history there, what would be your thoughts on that? That's a toughie, hey. Because part of that discussion as well at different points during the show is the fact that Newcastle is still dead set keen on Brooks. And I get the impression that over the next month or two, we'll, we'll see some movement there and he may well find himself at Newcastle, which is probably best for both parties. So, we'll have a halfback spot available and we'll have probably only about half a million or so available, but plus everything else we've got. So where do you sit on perhaps uh, Mitch Moses joining Adam Dewey in the, in the um, halves for the Tigers, maybe from 24 or something? Jeez. Look, there's, there's no doubt about it that, Moses went away from the club and flourished. There's, you can't deny that. You can't sit there and say, no, he would have been better staying with us. I mean, at that point in time, if we had the choice to pick either Brooks or Moses back in 2017 or 16, I can't really remember. We both, without even thinking twice, would say Brooks. We went, Brooks, why would we not keep Brooks? We want Brooks. Brooks has just gotten worse and worse where Moses has gotten better and better. But what that has done is it... It's given him a lot of confidence and it's given him a lot of, um, you know, he's played in those big games. He represented, he played in an origin. He's, he's made those top games. Like, yes, he hasn't gone past week two of uh, the finals with the Eels, but he definitely can make those calls that Brooks can't. For me, it'll come down to the price tag. Apparently he wants a million dollars a season. I would not pay a million dollars for him. No, not at all. So. Who's somebody who realistically you think could be available in the next couple of years that you would consider paying a million dollars for? For a half or for any position? For anyone. Joey Manu. Love him. Absolutely love him. Mm-hmm. I would pay I'd I would pay a million dollars for him to come and play for us. And you know, I like Laurie. I like Laurie, but I'd put Manu at fullback. I've I've said that for the last three years. I think that Joey Manu would be a sensational fullback, and he's only just starting to really play there a little bit at the Roosters when Teddy's not in, and he's shown what he can do. Played yeah, played for the Kiwis at fullback. Um, yeah, I think he ran for over three hundred meters in a game. Yeah, yeah I think then, Joey Manu. And then he played. Then he played five eight on the weekend. And absolutely brained him. <laughs> that, that, oh, that cramp to a to a try assist. That, that was just a dog. Mm. That was worse than the underarm bowl against New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, I don't disagree. It's probably the name that pops into my head as well. Mm. Um, there's there's definitely something happening moving forward at the Roosters. I think because um, there's going to be a point where they're going to have to throw Tedesco on the scrap heap. They've also yeah. got Sawali, who is earmarked for fullback. And so that's it's a situation where where do they find or what are they doing with Joey Manu? Because both he and Kiri are still uh, there for a little while. So it might be interesting. 
what about if um, the feelers were put out to Tedesco to come home for two years to finish oh, off? Shit, yeah. Oh, he would. With, without without hesitation. Yeah, but he, he would, won't. Yeah. He won't. He'll finish at the Roosters. You reckon? When he, well, when he won his Dally M, he didn't even thank us. Yeah, I know, but a lot's happened. I, no, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they did. Would you pay 800000 for a two-year retirement package for Tedesco? I'd pay a million dollars for a two-year retirement package. Okay. Yeah, right. But I don't because think it's going to happen. Because in terms of time frames, to me, if we were to get him for 25, say, so when, when Benji, Benji starts, starts two years, that, that gives us three, four years from now to see this next wave of 17 and 19 year olds come through and get to that point maybe where they could take the reins beyond that. Because I actually don't think beyond Laurie at the moment, I don't think we've got a whole lot of fullback prospects in the works with the exception maybe of Junior Tupo, but there's a big belief at the moment that they're not sure that he's going to have the voice to, to fulfill that role. He's been playing it in, um, in reserve grade in the knock-on yeah. effect cup, but um, he's a very, very, very quiet young fellow for more reports. So who's this again? Anyway, Junior Tupo. Junior Tupo. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's a bit well, of then, there was also stuff, talk, there was also, you know, we're also talking about, you know, at the start of this, well, at the first episode of this pod, we were talking about a young Logan Dillon. He seems to have dropped off the map. Yeah, he's gone so backwards that he's playing Ron Massey Cup now. There you go. So, yeah, so I don't think there's a way forward for him, unfortunately. But uh, that that happens. These players come and go. Yeah, I think, you know, let's say say we do go down the road of um, Mitch Moses and Adam Dwayne Dewey. Do you think that because I read somewhere on a forum that, um, you know, it'll be a similar situation to when Corey Norman was playing with Mitchell Moses. Do you think it'll be the same thing? They'll just, you know, each will want to control the game and each have a very loud voice. Uh, I think it might actually be a different, bit of a different kettle of fish because there's a lot more similarities between them. Um, you got to remember that Moses is five years Dewey's senior, so Dewey's only, Dewey's only twenty two. Um, yeah, true. They're you both keep Lebanon. That, don't you? They're both Lebanon internationals. Yeah. So I think there's a kinship there with that. Um, you know, you got to remember that Gutherson and Moses come at odds with each other constantly. But yeah, they, they also, do. They also are pretty tight. So I think you can see that work. But um, yeah, I I've got to see no reason why it wouldn't work. I think Moses has matured that side of his game a little bit as well. Um. So, you know, I still I still off him as a silk and all that sort of stuff from the way it all parted. But, you know, as, as always happens, you know, time heals the wounds to some degree. And if that was the path the club chose to go down, there's, yeah. there's a lot worse decisions that they could make, particularly... <laughs> there's was, a lot worse decisions they have made. But, yeah, and particularly the irony that it would be after the Big Four debacle back in 2016 to see it come full circle and end up with Moses at the club and Brooks being moved on after yeah. all that happening. But um, well, apparently, yeah, it's all speculation. I, I read somewhere and I think it was most likely the uncle saying something in Benny Elias, but apparently he never wanted to leave the club. Mm. But then I remember reading something back then that he was so stoked to be heading back to Parramatta. So, yeah. You, I, you I, think was, I, think, I think he was off Parramatta as the juniors. They didn't rate him. And he he actually he did like love the Tigers when he was here, but I think uh, what I read a couple of weeks ago is that it, it was on pretty good authority that if Pasco left, he'd sign five years back to come back here. So yeah, I think I think it's can't stand Pasco, Pasco and Query the decisions they made. Yeah, but what's um like everyone's you know still like this is still sort of swept the bigger issue under the rug is what's going to happen with Pasco like he's been there for seven years and we've gone backwards as a club. Like, yes, financially we're independent. Good on you. Don't be a bloody, don't be the um, GM, be, you know, the CFO or something. Don't have decision-makings in the way that the club, who we signed and things like that. But it's kind of, this decision has kind of taken that spotlight off them now. And it pisses me off because that's, you know, that's what they're thinking at the back of their mind as well. 
they're like, yeah, we don't have to worry about them thinking about us for a while. Oh, yeah. No, the heat's definitely off them. I'm sure they're glad not having any, um, have their names popping up in the paper at the minute. Um, Look, I'm happy to see the way that this pans out. Uh, I think actually with Sheen's back on board and with those other boys as part of the recruitment and retention committee, I don't think he has anything to do with anything anymore. I think that that ended with a review last year. I don't think Pascoe has any say in any of that stuff anymore, which is rightly so. He's He comes from an AFL background. Yeah. He, he doesn't know rugby league. I think that that was the error that was made early stages. And I don't think he was so much there to identify talent or be genuinely part of the opinions, but I think effectively he was there to just rubber stamp whatever happened off the back of Cleary. Um, and even just prior with the Taylor stuff with, uh, with Farrah. So I think he put too much faith in his coaches early on and just rubber stamp what they said. But I think it's a situation now where he's not even part of that arrangement or that setup anymore. So, yeah, well, fingers crossed. Cause I just, yeah, I don't know that, that, that annoyed me a little bit with this announcement is, and no one's talking about them anymore. Like, um, I'm not even going to bother to try to pronounce his last name, but Lee, um, the Pentelis. Yep, good. I'll leave that with you. Um, can't put anything really on him. He's stepped in for two years. He's not. I don't think a lot of this stuff can be lumped on his shoulders at all. But I think a lot of this can be lumped on Pasco's shoulders, and that's the thing. Like, he's got away scot free again. I mean, the bloke left for five weeks when we we're in turmoil, went on holiday. Mate, he also what... set up a, also set up someone to film him celebrating yeah. in a pub, and then leaked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a clown. He's a clown. Yeah, and he's he's still there, and it frustrates the shit out of me. But yeah, yeah. another um, another thing that I guess um. I've read today, and this is—it's still obviously talking about the the Tigers in a way. Is apparently um, Serrado's going to the Dogs. Yeah. So um, apparently Gould has his man. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I stopped giving a shit about Serrado the second that um, he rejected us. To be honest, I I don't, I don't really care if he wants to go there and ruin his career by getting eaten up and and spat out by Gould, then he's a fucking idiot. You know, fair enough if he didn't want to take on our job, but we threw the kitchen sink at him um, with a heap of upside and he went basically to go and work for the very bloke that sacked his current boss, sacked one of his best mates recently in Trent Barrett and he's going to jump back into the fire. So that tells me there's not much brain cells in that bloke's head and he's just been, he's been wooed by the sirens. Um, and yep, he's just Pied Piper's lured him in. So fair enough. You want to go down that path, mate? Good luck to you, and good luck to the Bulldogs. Because I think, I think uh, from what you heard, you know, from what we've all heard, you know, he's got a lot of potential as a coach. But bad luck. You'll be up on the on the scrap heap, mate, by the age of 41, 42, and Gus Gould would have ruined your career. And you should have been smart enough to not go under and work under him. But oh yeah, Jesus Christ! I mean, how many how many coaches has he sacked? Think about that too. Yeah. yeah, but Elliot, look what he did it. Look what he did Elliot, at Penrith. Um, Griffin, Cleary, Barrett. Mm. Oh, and I'm sure no. there's more. Mm. Yeah. yeah, he hasn't he hasn't just been in charge of Penrith. He's been in charge of other clubs before. So, in charge. Yeah. Um, didn't he? Wasn't he behind the sacking of um? Who was that Muppet before Cleary? Oh, you already said it, Elliot. So, yeah. 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 All right. So we've talked about that, which I guess we can sort of lean on the fact that we're both very optimistic about this news. Might as well talk about, I guess, the next game and <sighs> what we can take from it. Yeah, we got the Cowboys Sunday, 4.05 up at, uh, what's it called these days, is it? Queensland Country Bank Stadium, so it's not 1,300 smiles anymore. Um, that was such a bad name for a stadium, by the way. Mm, it was a mouthful. <laughs> nice joke, Dad. What are your What are your thoughts on this upcoming game? What What uh, talk me through what you think might happen? 
I'll just watch it with low expectation. I'm not hoping, I'm not even going to watch the scoreboard. I'm just hoping, I'm probably just going to watch individuals, to be honest. I watch the players that I'm looking forward to continue watching develop the things that they do. Can't wait to watch Toa. I, oh, I like Toa. I like Toa, man. I don't just, at all. I don't just, at all. He just, um, he's yeah, not a he's center. Got, he's got way too many deficiencies. He's um, not a center. I know he's still young, but that's why we now have New South Wales Cup up, up and running. Just drop yeah. back to New South Wales Cup. You're happy to do it with guy that with a player who we think is does not deserve to be down in New South Wales Cup in Jakey Simkin. You're happy mm. to do it with him. Why don't you do it with these guys? Like, you know, I think he's his defensive lapses, honestly, in my opinion, are nowhere near as bad as what Gildards were, uh, are worse than what Gildards were, sorry. Gildart was, yes, he was getting caught out of position probably once every three sets, but it looks like Toa was being caught out twice every set. Mm. He's either in or he's too far out. He, You can see, I, I was watching on the weekend, you watch Dewey or Hastings or whoever had the, whatever half had the ball, you know, tracking across field, and you can see him singling to go under, and he just looks up at the line and tries to run straight. I'm like, that's not what they wanted you to do. Mm. He's... He doesn't have that football brain yet. He could get it, but he needs to go down to New South Wales Cup to learn to play like a first-grade footballer because right now he's not. The indictment on the weekend is I'm looking at the team squad and there was only two players that didn't miss a tackle. Uh, one of them played on the wing and made two tackles, which was Junior Tupo, and the other one was Matamua that only played a handful of minutes. Um, so everyone else missed tackles on the weekend. So it wasn't it wasn't our best. The the issue um, the issue but is the issue but is yes, that's a that's a fair point, but if a middle forward misses a tackle, it's you know it's because they're tired and they've worked hard and well that this is what I'll put it down to. I'll put it down to, you know, exhaustion. You know, they're tired. You, you you generally don't see a lot of middle forwards miss a tackle within the first 20 minutes. It's usually in the last 20 minutes because they're exhausted and, you know, they've put in all that effort. For a centre to be caught out of position as often as Toa is, is basically just saying you don't know how to defend that position. He might be a good winger. Who knows? He's tall. He's strong. But he's not a centre. Centre, as I think I've discussed in, pro- like in the past, and as you know very well, is probably the hardest position in defence. It is. It's You can be caught out of position so easily. You can get one-on-one misses, everything like that. It is the hardest position to defend. I think it's like it's even harder than fullback, and fullback's a pretty hard position to defend. But I, I liken defending in the centres to putting in golf. It doesn't matter how, the, how good the rest of your game is. Um, if you can't putt, the hole's screwed. It's the same with the centres. You know, yeah. you, you can have your defensive structures really good. If your centre doesn't know how to read the play or doesn't know how to make the right decision, it, it undoes the whole lot. It screws it screws the inside men and it can screw the outside men. Um, yeah, so look, he only missed one tackle on the weekend, but he had three ineffective and only made nine. But as, as you said, what the stats don't say is his reads, even the reads that they cover. So... Even poor reads that then led to half breaks or half chances that were even snuffed out. But that still goes down, not in the stat book, but it goes down in our collective memories about more situations where he has read that play wrong or he read that move wrong. Um, so, yeah, yeah, to me, it's a simple fix. Though. The thing, Talking about the weekend, one thing I will say is some of the selections, and I hope, as you mentioned yesterday in a private chat, that it's going to be a few switcheroos, but some of the selections, baffling isn't even the word to put it. Um, you know, the one spot that Naden has played well in the last 18 months has been at left center. And he comes back and you put him on the wing. You've got Toa who would be suited to that wing. Simple swap. Yeah. No, so Toa stays in there. Um, you know, you've got Roberts available for selection who every game he's played this year, he's actually done pretty well. And albeit, I, I like the fact in some ways that they're giving AJ Kapoor another go in centre because I actually thought he was quite good on the weekend, um, which is fair enough. But, um, you know, you, you've got 
James Roberts and Naden available for selection in the centres and you still pick Toa there. I'm happy to see Toa on and off his wing, but no, you know, you've you've got uh, Tommy Talia, who's only a couple of weeks away, I think, from coming back, who is a centre, who I think they're grooming to be a, a second rower. He's, he's, he's close to selection. And you've got um, Dwayne, obviously, that was playing in centres, but now he's in the 5-8, so... You know, we can keep going down and look at some of the other selections within the actual team uh, while I'm running my mouth off on some of them. But, um, yeah, I yeah, I don't know. Just... I, put, I put a comment on Facebook earlier in the week and I simply said that, guys, you realise that we're not getting draft picks by tanking. You know, this Hold isn't up. the NFL. That some, some, of, some of these picks, like... It just does my head in. Safe um, is back. How did he earn a spot back? I don't get it. In saying that, New South Wales Cup did win on the weekend. Yeah, they, they won, but they won basically against the flag side because most of their reserves were playing That's, first grade. Yeah. Um, you know, I watched some of the highlights and he, he wasn't overly impressive whatsoever. Peachy came back in. Same thing. Like, if you've got one eye on the future, why you got Peachy and Seafarth in there? Seafarth isn't signed next year and Peachy was told to look elsewhere. Yet you've got, um, you know, Matamua, fair enough, if you have a rest. You've still got Brandon Tumuth, who I think should be getting a debut. He's been outstanding in his games back. Uh, you've got Noffer on the extended list with Roberts. Now, I'm assuming that their illness last week was another disciplinary thing. That is the only thing that that says to me. Well, you don't think David that was Noffer... actually an illness? I don't believe so. If, if it was, I don't know why Noffer's not back in the side. Because I see my my thought is my thought is <clears throat> that yes he's not back in the the squad but it's more of a precautionary thing they want to put him I think this is what I'm hoping for I am hoping that so I don't think it'll happen the way I hope but if if it does it'd be good um, Toll will drop out. Nate will move the centers and offer will come back in. But what most likely will happen is Kapoa will drop out. Naden will drop back into the centers and offer will go to the wing. That's what's most likely going to happen. But I just, it, it's baffling to me how these sort of things, like I get, we're not in, we don't go to training. We don't see what they're doing. We don't see the effort they're putting in. Effort only gets you so far. You know, we've never once said that we can't fault Seifarth's commitment. We can never fault that. Gives 110% of it. But 110% of shit is still shit. So if he, he, like, I don't see what they're seeing in these people. And it's frustrating because I really, really, really want to go to one of these selections and find out why. (laughs) But... He looks like a he looks like a drunk seal trying to find his wallet when he's out there. He just he, you know I you know you know I don't know I don't know I don't know anymore. <laughs> yeah, um, you know it, it's just yeah, and I don't know where Simpkin is. I'm assuming Simpkin got injured or picked up a small injury because the New South Wales Cup don't have a game this week. They've got to buy. And so it's not like he's dropping back to play some reserve grade. Mm. Uh, so that would be my assumption there as well. To me, I guess maybe the fact it's the Cowboys, they didn't want to give another debutant into because to, as far as I'm concerned, Tumuth is ready to go um, for his debut next. And I would put just about everything I own on the fact in the next fortnight, we're going to see him have a run. But I guess not throwing him to the wolves in an interstate game up there against one of the competition high flyers, maybe that's the reason that they've picked a bit of experience. Um, maybe actually, as I'm saying it, maybe that sounds like it makes a bit more sense. That's why Peachy and Seafarth and Musgrove and that are in there. I don't know. The, the fact they're still picking Kelman to a luggy like Garner, I get because he's reliable and and he seems yeah, to yeah. be um he's done a pretty good job this year and he seems like he's actually still giving a fair bit for the jersey. But to luggy is just a passenger. Like I don't understand why he's there. Yeah, neither do I. Um, 
And, you know, I, it, I wouldn't it comes go out so with... far as to say that I want Sifa. I think they're in lieu of him, but, you know, there's got to be... Got, you, you play New Brown in there. Play... God, I would even accept playing Peachy in second row over to Valadi at the moment. Look, at the end of the day, um, we don't make these decisions. We just, we're an outsider looking in. And we know the fact that um, Kamali basically said when he took over, efforts, what's going to get you picked? And, you know, like I said, like, effort can only get you so far. So, yeah, it's just, it's just pissed me off. This, um, so this shows kind of how much I'm not paying too much attention to the New South Wales team. But this Tumuth you've been talking about, what position does he play? The second rower. Because I'm on the I'm on the West Tigers site and I can't see him. That's all. Um, he he won't be in the top thirty. Okay, there you go. No. That'd be why. No. I I I honestly I I watched him last year, like. Yes, it was last year. We we played a game in New South Wales Cup where we played a, I think, eighty percent of the team was um, uh, was Jersey Flag that came through. I, I remember watching that game, going, "Wow, these kids are young," and there was Joseph Tapari. I wouldn't actually mind seeing him get a bit of a run as well. You know, we've obviously got Jock Madden, who's the halfback and waiting whenever Brooks decides to piss off or. Hastings is injured or anything like that, but I'd like to see him get a run. I thought he had a, a lot of good touches in that game that I saw. Again, it was New South Wales Cup, and again, you know, uh, we haven't seen too much of him, but, you know, like, we've got nothing to lose anymore. Let's just start blooding some people. Yeah, I think Tapari's dropped a fair bit down the pecking order in that he's only um, finding his way onto the bench for KOE, I think, at this stage. Yeah, he was lively enough and he was okay. He didn't do too bad. Reminded me of a, a young sort of Luai in yeah. some ways. Yeah, that's... Uh, I don't know if the, he has the... the, the um, Yeah, just the top end potential of him. I don't know. Didn't, didn't really watch enough, but yeah, it's a name that I've seen bandied around. I don't think he's uh, in in line for anything yeah. anytime soon. But yeah, there's a few that are down there in the works. I'd say there's probably... That might be maybe it that I can think of, unless they're looking at someone like Henry O'Kane as well, but I don't think he's really... Yeah, I, I keep hearing Henry O'Kane is, you know, someone to keep an eye on. So yeah, the I've one I... The one it, I yeah, the one that That's a both, James is another one. Well, the one that I'd love to... And it sucks because he got injured, would have been um, Rua. I would have loved to seen Rua sort of get a bit of time. I think, like we said, he's a you know, a reincarnation of cheese, but you know, he's the perfect utility right now. We say that with Faneuil Brown in the team, but I also wouldn't have mind to see Tristan O'Reilly get a start. Not a start, but a, some time. I mean, he had a lot of props coming into him from the Waratahs. So. Yeah. The problem is uh, the feedback on his first month of football has been really, really, really bad. Oh, really? Oh Yeah. Yeah, his his defense and his decisions make Toa look like Matt Cooper. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, um, sorry, I put the kibosh on that straight away. I think he's at best okay. as a long term, a long term prospect. He looks like he's got the build and all that sort of jazz, but um, yeah, I think he's had a fair baptism of fire. And watching the highlights, his side has been torn to pieces in the few games that he's played in center. Yeah. So it's unfortunate because they've signed him to a two year, top thirty contract. So. That could be a big swing and a miss. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Oh, is what it is. Any, um, yeah. you know, I'm not even going to bother putting a score out there because how well the Cowboys are doing, how bad we're doing, it looks like it's a fair, fair assumption we're going to get rolled. But is there any fearless predictions? Uh, yeah, I'll say that Fenua Polio run for 100 metres from the bench. On the weekend, he'll, he'll play over half the game from the bench. I reckon he'll play over 40 minutes. And, yeah, he'll run for over 100. Um, I think that I'll, I might double that down with the fact that there's going to be no changes to the side. Oh, see, my fearless prediction I, is there is going to be changes to the side. I reckon they're going to run 1-17. to 17. We're all going to wait for the late changes, and they're going to be as named. And we're all going to go, uh. Yeah. Um. The my so the change, changes, is is, changes you've mentioned, yeah. I, yeah, change I mentioned. I think 
Um, Kapoor will drop out. Naden will go to the centres and um, Noffer will go to the wing. Yeah, won't be overly disappointed with that. Having Naden back in the centres would be good. He looked good yeah. in a couple of games he was there. looked very good. I think the only other positive I could probably take out of what we're seeing here is I don't see little anywhere at all. I think that's the only positive I can put out of that. He's basically, it looks like they've just finally put a line through him. Hmm. And that's, you know, when you make as we many thought, mistakes. We've thought that before about players though, haven't we? We have. Yeah. Please <laughs> assemble. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I don't know. Hopefully we hear a few whispers about what happened at the lunch tomorrow between Sheens yeah. and Gould. I'm sure there'll be a few player swap scenario um, yeah. possibilities being thrown up over the next couple of days because clearly that's about something. Yeah. Where'd you read that? Because I want to read that article, that's all. Uh, well, it's probably popped up in a few areas. It's all over the forums, but I think it mentioned on 360 as well. To start okay. off with, it's the first place I heard it and a few, a few others have mentioned it as well, so... Um, yep. Yeah, that is something that is definitely going to take place. And that's a couple of big head honchos. So there's something going on. Yes, yes, it is. Well, oh, yeah, mate, well, that might be us for the week, I think. I think so. Yeah, so I guess, you know, this podcast, we had a fair bit of, of big news, good news, possibly exciting news. Well, you know, let's say exciting news with finally knowing where the club is headed for the next five years. And I think, as we keep saying now, there's a lot of water to move under the bridge in the next six months. I think we're going to see a lot of movement around recruitment. I think we're going to see a few old heads finally be moved on in some way, shape or form. And I actually think that entering into pre-season, as we tend to every year, we're going to be filled with a little bit more optimism. Um, and I think that the squads, the squad that we're looking at for next year um, we're going to see uh, a fair few changes between now and then. So those are all things to, I guess, I don't know about get excited about, but at least, you know, change is as good as a holiday. So yeah, at the very least, when we're going the way that we're going, we like to see that changes are afoot to some degree because as people always say, even though when they say it can't get any worse, it can always get worse, it can't get much worse. So the only way is up from here. Fingers crossed. And we're suckers, so we'll be watching the game. On the As weekend yep. at 4 p.m. on Sunday, the 24th. Uh, if you're in Townsville, do whatever you want. I don't suggest you go to the stadium because <laughs> you're not going to enjoy it. Uh, maybe watch it at home and cheer for the boys nice and quietly yeah. because the public around you will probably hear and you'll never hear the end of it, especially if you work up that way. So, yep. no, look, we always wish the boys well and, and hopefully we see some positives. As we said, we're going to start... If we, as best we can, try not to look at the overall results of the games because we're not really overly optimistic at the back end of the season. But I think looking for small wins in terms of player performances and, and, and future combinations and stuff are all things that we can pontificate about. And it should be interesting to watch, at least in that regard. So yep. we can thank our lucky stars that we've still got football on in the year and we're not at cricket season yet. Yep. No, and that is something to, be, something to be thankful for. So, yeah. Yep, you look at the end of the day, it's still footy and we still love the Tigers. So we always will. Yep. Even All under right, Sheensy's next reign. All right, mate. Well, uh, lovely talking to you as always. And as we always tend to say, we'll always tend to say into the future, go the mighty West Tigers. I'm just going to say go the Tigers. No, we'll stick with that then. <laughs> All, All right, right, mate. Over and out.